0: You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here, I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. In today's episode, I want to actually give you a little educational piece on something called claudication. Um, So claudication is a term that we use to actually describe two different diagnoses, but patients may present with very similar complaints. So this is a person that comes in, maybe they have a consult to see me for knee pain. You may be going to see your primary or a different doctor depending on where the complaint bothers you. And typically, it'll either be on one leg, um, commonly if it's what we call vascular claudication or due to a blood vessel problem, or symmetrically in both legs if it's something that we call neurogenic claudication. So what'll happen, somebody may come in and they'll say that my legs feel heavy or they'll rub their thighs, it may feel weak. Um, One of the more common complaints is people will say with a certain activity, say like being on a bike, they can do a pretty good distance, but standing and walking, they can't go so far. Or what they'll notice is that around the neighborhood or on a block, they will have the exact same distance and then have to sit and stop. So what causes these problems? So let's talk about what's called vascular claudication. So vascular, this is actually due to a blood vessel problem, and this is typically due to an artery problem. So this may be seen in anybody, uh, but commonly patients may have a history of smoking. They may have already had a history of having heart attacks and stents. So they already have some problem with their blood vessels. Maybe their cholesterol levels are high. And then what happens is they start to notice that one leg may feel weak or the muscles get tired. Occasionally in a man um, or a woman, if they don't shave their legs, you might see the hair pattern change and that usually starts at about the mid-shin down where you'll look at the other leg and above that and the hair patterns normal, but they've lost their hair. Now if it's severe, the foot, toes, ankle area can look very red. It can be even start to get blue and dusky. And you know, severe problems would be if it was completely neglected, actually a gangrenous toe or a gangrenous foot. Uh, but typically people present a lot earlier than that. So what'll happen is somebody can, presents with you know, foot pain, calf pain, knee pain, thigh pain. And when you examine their joints for me, you know, their hip, their knee may be normal or normal for their age, they may have mild arthritis, but it's not really the symptom. And they'll describe when I exercise, I walk 100 feet, 500 feet, and this leg or muscle gets tired, it gets weak, it gets painful and then they have to sit for a certain period of time may even be as short as 30 or 60 seconds but sometimes a few minutes and then they can get up and they can walk the same distance again so I'll examine the leg and again sometimes you see those obvious changes where the hair pattern changes or the color changes the the leg just looks more red or more dusky than the other leg but then typically when we check the pulses you don't feel any pulses in the foot or around the ankle or if you do feel the pulses they're extremely weaker than the other side. So this is typically what's called vascular claudication. And the way to really test this for sure is setting somebody up for an ultrasound. So this is not an ultrasound to look for blood clots in the veins, but this is an ultrasound that looks at the blood flow in the arteries. And it can tell us throughout that leg whether or not there's a complete blockage, or whether or not there's a partial blockage, and it can do some additional measurements to let us compare to normal or to the other side. So we have an idea of what that leg does. What's also really helpful is sometimes they'll do the test and have the person exercise. So we have a pre-exercise, basically an at-rest measurement of how much blood flow, and then an after-exercise measurement. So How this is treated really depends on the severity. I would typically refer these patients if I made the diagnosis onto a vascular specialist. And occasionally, if the symptoms are mild and the blockage is not severe, they may treat it with activity modifications or health modifications being a small amount of exercise or quitting smoking. Or if their cholesterol is high, they may put you on a medicine to lower your cholesterol. And there are some other medicines that can thin the blood or prevent blockages from occurring or dilate the blood vessels, and that may help those symptoms. In severe cases, the surgeons may talk to you at a surgical operation, such as putting a stent in to open up that vessel that's narrowed or blocked to let the blood flow through but that is all what we call vascular claudication. Very commonly, it's in one leg, not both, but it can be in both. It may be of different severity. But again, it'll be a certain amount of pain or achiness, cramping muscle weakness that occurs after a particular exercise, and it can be walking, biking, swimming, what have you, but anything that's using the muscles that requires blood flow, and then relieved after a certain period of rest. So the other thing, which I actually more commonly see, is what we call neurogenic claudication and most commonly this is from something what more people are familiar with is called spinal stenosis so people know about if i have a problem in my back and i blow out a disc we'll talk about a disc herniation well that disc blows out it presses on a nerve and there's very specific pain in the distribution of where that nerve travels what area of the body those nerves innervate, and sometimes it can cause muscle weakness but neurogenic claudication due to spinal stenosis is a little different so In our spine, there's three main parts of the spine. So there's the cervical or your neck, the thoracic or in your chest area, um, and then the lumbar, which is below your ribs but above um, your pelvic bone. And each of those has a certain curve. So in the lower part of your back, called the lumbar spine, there's a little bit of a lordosis. So there's a curve, just like if you put your hand behind someone's smaller, their back, it curves in a little bit. That's the normal curvature. And inside the spine in a part of the bones, there's a space called the spinal canal. And inside the spinal canal is your spinal cord. And the cord has a little bit of room. But what can happen over time with arthritis is that the inside of that space can start to narrow. Some people are born with certain geometry that may make them more prone to have these problems when they get older, but all people can develop arthritis and all people can develop some stenosis. But what's interesting is that the space is actually bigger if you lean forward and bend forward. And it gets a little bit smaller when you stand up straight and that back sort of hyperextends. So what you may commonly see some older people do if they have spinal stenosis is they start to walk pitched forward or bending forward. You know, so all of the times you've been told when you're younger to stand up straight, stand up straight, a lot of times my patients don't even recognize why they were doing it, but they were aware that doing it made them feel better or not doing it made them feel worse. So they start to bend forward a little bit. And what they'll commonly describe is a heaviness or an achiness. Kind of the classic sign is, I'll see people put both hands on their thighs and just kind of rub their thighs up and down. They'll say, yeah, it's just kind of heavy or weak or feels tired or feels like it may not support them. And this commonly occurs in both legs symmetrically, a little different from the vascular claudication. But again, it can be worsened by a certain period of activity. So if you were standing and you were taking a walk, a lot of those people people can tell you that I can walk a number of blocks or steps or minutes. And after a certain distance, I need to sit down on a bench and I can put my elbows on my knees and bend forward and then my symptoms go away. And then I stand up and I do it again. And the same thing occurs over and over and over again. The other little caveat that helps you make the diagnosis is that If they're sitting on a stationary bike, so they go to the gym um, when gyms may be open um, and you sit on top of a bike where you're bending forward. if you think about it, on a bike, you're bending forward. So you're actually opening up the space. They'll say, no, I I can bike for an hour. You know, I can bike. I never get any symptoms, but as soon as I stand up and walk, then I get these symptoms. That's almost like a classic symptom and history taking that lets me know most likely this person has neurogenic claudication or due to spinal stenosis. So again, this will be both legs. It's a pinching or narrowing of the spinal canal, which can pinch and narrow the spinal cord, which can cause these leg symptoms. Now again, there are rare instances where it's severe. So vascular claudication, if you have a complete blockage You know, pain can lead to gangrene. That's an emergency. You go to the the hospital, you go to the emergency room. You know, with neurogenic claudication, it's rare, but you can get a severe pinching or narrowing um, of that cord. It can cause paralysis, loss of bowel or bladder. That's a go to the emergency room right away, emergency. That's rare and that's late. Um, So more commonly, when we take a history and you examine a patient, usually the exam isn't terrible. Uh, most of the diagnosis is made based on the history and talking to the patient and when and how their symptoms have affected them. And the best way to diagnose this will start with the exam and then followed by x-rays. But the best thing typically is an MRI. It gives a good three-dimensional picture of the spine and the spinal cord and the spinal canal. And it allows us to see whether or not that cord is actually being pinched if it's narrowed for some patients that can't have an MRI, a CAT scan can be helpful also, but you're looking for something more three-dimensional um, that gives you a little bit more information on that canal diameter as opposed to a plain x-ray. So once we diagnose it, again, the treatments can be mild. Typically, I'll send these patients off to one of the spine specialists if it's severe, but occasionally, if someone has very, very mild symptoms, simple Understanding and activity modification can help. So, if they can strengthen their core muscles and their back muscles, and they're aware of, you know, when they bend forward, it improves their symptoms. And maybe instead of doing all their exercise on the treadmill or walking, they spend more time biking. Um, those things are things that open up the space and may relieve the symptoms. Um, if things are severe, you know, then I'm sending patients off to the spine specialist, where they may talk to them about additionally. Um, with medications is possibly doing injections of cortisone to reduce inflammation or as a last resort surgery in the patients who have severe symptoms and all of those other first line treatments, second line treatments have really failed to improve the symptoms. So, you know, I hope if you've been having pain or maybe you were diagnosed with one of these claudication and you didn't really understand exactly what it was or why you had the symptoms or what the the treatments were, they didn't really explain why they did what they did, um, this may help that because it's nice. I really enjoy it when patients come in and say, you know, my my doctor sent me to see you for knee pain, hip pain, but I was, you know, researching and talking to my friend and I think I have, you know, neurogenic claudication, which is great. They did the research. Um, and sometimes they're right, but, you know, we're looking at vascular claudication, narrowing of a blood vessel, which typically affects one leg predominantly, can affect both, Um, worsened with any activity as the blood flow gets diminished, muscle pain, cramps, the pulses may be diminished or gone, Uh, foot may be red, Um, hair pattern may be lost from the ankle up, uh, and severe changes, gangrene. So those emergencies, no pulse, redness, pain, go to the emergency room. But just noting some pain or weakness after activity, relieved with rest, talk to your doctor, um, they're gonna examine you and most likely get an ultrasound. The other claudication, neurogenic claudication, typically due to spinal stenosis, narrowing of the back, worse with standing upright for a period of time or worse with standing upright walking, better bending forward, better on the bicycle, usually can be improved with understanding those mechanisms and exercise, occasionally medications, occasionally injections, and as a last resort surgery. So. Hopefully that answers uh, some of the questions that you may have had and gives you a lot more information about claudication and symptoms that you may have in your legs. Um, And this may be important for you and for a friend or family member that may be going through the same type of symptoms. So thanks for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. And until next time, stay safe.